Hello and welcome to episode three of Zero Pucks Given with Ty Anderson and Dale Arnold. Dale, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing fine, thank you. Uh, you know, in, in the interest of full disclosure here, uh, this would be a much better show today if we disagreed and fought and yelled at each other. I have a feeling, at least to start, we're not going to have much disagreement on this one. Probably not. If you saw EEI.com today, if you know the spoiler, and you have the same opinion, then no, we're not going to disagree on this. Uh, Brad Marchand was suspended for five games by the National Hockey League. Um, He was suspended five games, and he deserves five games. Uh, I said it on Twitter. I'm quite amazed at the number of uh, Bruins fans who have taken me to task for that. Come on, it was a hockey play. No, it's not a hockey play. Uh, and, and yes, history matters. He is, a, he is a great player. He's made himself into a great player. First team NHL All-Star. One of the best players in the National Hockey League. One third of the best line in the National Hockey League. And he can't hold his head together. Uh, I, I, I heard his defense, quote-unquote. You know, he was trying to defend himself. Stop it. You elbowed Marcus Johansson in the head. A guy who missed all of the month of November with a concussion. You've now given him another. This is the third concussion of Johansson's career. If the situations were reversed, Johansson elbowed Marchand, or worse yet, Patrice Bergeron in the head, we'd be calling for, for Johansson to be strung up down on the common. Absolutely. And it's also, it's a Randy Savage flying elbow. It's not like it's a, he throws his arm out the last second. I mean, he launches himself when he has really no need to. And I think that when you're a, when you're a player that's just important to the team, and you're playing the way you are, and the team is rolling the way you are, this is a selfish, unnecessary penalty. Not even a penalty; it wasn't called. I know, but it's an elbow, just completely unnecessary. And he get he got what he deserved, really. Let's run through the history for folks who don't remember. He was suspended two games for elbowing R.J. Umberger back in March of 2011. Uh, beginning of the next season, he was suspended five games for his low bridge check on Sammy Sallow. 2015, he was suspended two games for slew-footing Derek Brassard. Uh, 2015, he was suspended three games for clipping Mark Borvietsky. Last year, end of the regular season, he was suspended for the final two games of the regular season for spearing Jake Dotchin. He's been suspended five times, coming into this one, five times for 14 games. Is the NHL not supposed to take that into consideration when they weigh the penalty that they're going to give him this time? The act itself... If he had a clean record, if he was if he was David Posternock, well, he's been suspended once too. If he was Patrice Bergeron, he'd probably get a game or two. You can't ignore this. No, and you can't. And I think the the thing that doesn't help Marchand is that he always sort of goes to the NHL Department of Player Safety and says, "Well, I'm changing. I'm 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 a reformed man." And he always sort of has these brain farts. And they go, no, you can't sit there and tell us that you're changing and that you're, this isn't part of your DNA anymore when you do it. Every single year, something else happens. And it always seems to happen right before a big event or, a, or a, a, an important sort of team happening. Last year with the Lightning, I think that he's lucky he didn't get suspended for a playoff game. The year before that, he misses the Winter Classic. I mean, this is a guy who, for some reason, he loses his mind at random points in the season. It's just who he is. And, and let's put the, that in perspective. Last year, he got suspended for the last two games of the regular season for spearing Jake Dotchin. If he did something like this at the end of the regular season, he's going to be suspended for like 10 playoff games, 5 to 10 playoff games. This is going to keep accumulating. If he can't hold his act together, if he can't keep his head and he gets one of these end of the regular season like he did last year, the Bruins are going to pay dearly in the postseason. And, and I, I just know that the coaching staff and management has got to be f- so frustrated. Hell, I, I was thinking about this as I was driving in today. I'm married, have been for a long time. You know, we, we try to watch our money and everything. Don't quite make the same money Brad Marchand does. 
But with this suspension, he will have forfeited between half a million and three quarters of a million dollars in, in forfeited wages. At some point, does the, the little woman sitting across the kitchen table say, you know, we could have bought a house for what you've, what you've handed the NHL. This is 10 vacations out and, the window. And that hasn't slowed him down. I, I, I truly cannot figure it out because he, he really is a transcendent player. I mean, he, he has become that good a player. Uh, and, and even the country of Canada, when he scored the game winner in, in the, uh, the World Cup championship, even the country of Canada said, well, you know what, maybe he's not so bad. You know, he's, he, he's our guy, like we say in Boston here. And then he does something like this and sits for another five. I, I'm a little mystified why they let him play in the All-Star game. I'm, I mean, I understand the premise here. You know, the All-Star game was a reward for what he had done in the regular season so far. I'm not sure that they, they should have even... They are allowing him to play. I'm not sure they should. Yeah, it is an awkward situation sort of where you say, you're going to get cheered and celebrated this weekend. You're going to have a lot of fun. Oh, by the way, you're going to miss uh, five in games and or four games after the All-Star break. A few of them are pretty important. Between Anaheim, St. Louis, Toronto, those are some games and some teams that have given you some problems. So to miss that game, miss those games, potentially put the point streak in jeopardy, depending on what happens against Ottawa. I mean that that's you know it's heavy. I, I think could it be I, a little awkward if he runs into Taylor Hall in the uh, Eastern Conference locker room this weekend? Well, well, that's what I mean. There's there's all these players that I think you know it's it's one of those situations where he's developed a reputation throughout the league. Some teams and players hate him. Other teams like him. They respect the talent. Uh, but I do think that it, it's just a weird situation because. There's no need for it. You know, we thought that, at least I thought that he had graduated from this sort of mindset and this attitude, but... Hey, speared a guy in, with two games left in the regular season yeah. last year. Why would you think that, that this has changed? Um, I, I, don't know what, I don't know what will get through to him, because taking money out of his pocket hasn't done it, taking games away from him. He was the most remorseful I've ever seen him when he got suspended for the Winter Classic. Yes. And I thought, okay, now this is the one. Because he, he was really, truly down. Devastated. And, and I thought, this is the one. You know, this is the one that's finally going to change the act after that. He's been suspended a couple of times since then. And I would argue that he's dodged suspensions a few times. Yes, they've given him the stern talking to and the, and the warning. and the We're, we're Wall not going to do this. Well, he, got, he got fined $10,000. Which is crazy for tripling, uh, tripping Nicholas Caron. Just suspend him if you're gonna if you're gonna find him five uh, Ten five figures thousand dollars with the stern talking to. If this happens again, well, it happened again, and guess what? They're gonna slap him for five. And I, the other thing I was looking at, I just you know these things bug me sometimes. I went through and looked at the five teams that the Bruins are about to play that they'll play without Brad Marchand. They're gonna play Ottawa, Anaheim, St. Louis, Toronto, and Detroit. In his career, he's played 112 games against those teams. He's got 41 goals, 39 assists, 80 points. Good, strong, solid numbers. Got a couple of Eastern Conference teams in there that, you know, his play will be, it will be important. Toronto. Western Conference, you can say maybe not as much. Well, th- those numbers are now thrown right in the cocked hat because he couldn't control himself again. He's going to sit down for five. And the chemistry that, that had developed between Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak, now gets waylaid for five games. Now you could say, hey, he could get hurt. You know, if a guy gets hurt and misses five games, then you got to climb back on the horse again. But this was, this was avoidable. Getting 100%. hurt is, is not avoidable. And now somebody else is going to have to find a way to, to mesh with those two guys up front. And they're going to have to... Now they're already without Charlie McAvoy, a key player on this team. You could make an argument they are now without the most important defenseman on the team, 
and now the most important forward on the team. Now, I would say Bergeron and Chara. I'm just saying you could make yes. an argument Oh, absolutely. for those two guys, and now they're going to have to play without them for a while. Yeah, for me, what it comes back to in a lot of ways, the, the thing I hate the most about the suspension is that, or the act itself, is that, it, like we've said, it wasn't necessary, and I think that Marcus Johansson here is playing the role of Louis Erickson when John Scott clocked him. You know, Johansson is not a physically imposing player. He came into this game with six penalties, none of which are, are for rough stuff. There's not a cross-check and a roughing, you know, a, a, an interference even. You know, he's not that guy. So I think to make the example out of him for what was a physical game, it's almost like he was hitting Miles Wood, who, you know, we, we would admit had his run-ins with the Bruins all game long. Yep. This was a player who didn't deserve it, who, like, you've met, like you mentioned in the beginning, had a concussion, has a concussion history, and now Martian is being backed... He's back to being public enemy number one, and there was just no need for it. And like you've said, that the importance of the schedule coming up, the Toronto game, this team needs to beat Toronto once. If if they are a lock for a postseason matchup in round one, I think the Bruins need to beat the Maple Leafs. They've lost six straight now. I don't think losing eight in a row to the Maple Leafs going into the playoffs is, is the best recipe for your confidence. We'll know tonight, as, we, as we're taping this thing, uh, it's the day of the Ottawa game, uh, the first of these five that he's going to miss. We'll know tonight what Bruce Cassidy has to say about it. Publicly, he'll say, you know, whatever he has to say. He's already said that Brad was trying to defend himself. And I understand a coach has to stick up for his player. I I get that. I really do. I'd give anything to know what's being said behind closed doors. Whether it's Bruce Cassidy, whether it's Don Sweeney, whether it's Cam Neely. I'd give anything to know what they're saying to him. Because this just doesn't change for this player. They've tried. They've thought they had it licked. When he missed the Winter Classic, I thought he'd never get suspended again the rest of his life. (laughs) And he just, he can't help himself. I can't figure it out. And it's, I mean, it's scary, too, because the next incident is going to be the one that slaps him. It's going to cost him 10, 10 to 15 yeah. games. Yeah. And, and, and if that happens in the playoffs, you know, is that when it happens? But at that point, does it even matter? Because you're not going to win without Brad Marchand in the playoffs. I'm sorry. It's just not happening. So one of those situations where, you know, does that change how they view that player? And is he more of a danger now? I mean... You never want to hit that point. I think it's a scary point to hit. You can have all the talent in the world, but once you become a liability in terms of being able to be on the ice, I think that's when teams begin to doubt you. And I don't want to ever doubt Brad Marchand. He's been incredible. His progression from year one to now is truly remarkable when you look at what he came into the league as. But one more suspension, and it starts to become a little bit dicey, I think, for the Bruins. I mean, the good news for the Bruins is that with this 17-game point streak— They've, they've really built themselves a very solid base. If, if the worst happened and they slipped a little bit, you know, it's not like the end of the world here. But, I, you know, yesterday, and again, as we tape this, this is the day of the Ottawa game. Brad Mar- um, Patrice Bergeron couldn't practice yesterday. He was ill. I expect he'll play tonight, but I'm not positive he'll play tonight. Uh, Nola Chari, obviously not the same caliber of import as a Brad Marchand or a Patrice Bergeron, but missed practice yesterday with a lower body injury. That means theoretically tonight in Ottawa, uh, you take out Brad Marchand and Nola Chari and Patrice Bergeron, and you insert Frank Vitrano and, and Anders Bjork. Sorry, that's a big drop-off Absolutely. if that's in fact what happens. Now, I think Bergeron will play. So now you're going to take out Achari and Marchand and replace them with Vitrano and Bjork. Not the same thing. No, it's sort of a puzzle. That was going to be my next question to you is who do you want replacing Marshall, I mean, and I know you can't really replace him, but but I think who they'll do you put York there. It seems like the easiest fit, right? Well, I, and, and you you don't want to disrupt you know every line you've got out there because you've lost Marshan for five games. You don't want to disrupt the entire team. My guess is you'll see Bjork slide into that spot. Uh, Vitrano will slide into that fourth line spot where Achari was, and you just go from there. I I think that's what Bruce Cassidy will do. Uh, this is one of those you know 
I've never coached a game in my life, but if I was coaching, that's how I'd handle it. Yeah, well, that, that was the other thing too. I was thinking, well, you could put Danton Hine in there, but he's rolling with with uh, Nash I'd leave it and, alone. and Bacchus right now. Yeah, that's the thing. Do you want to mess up two lines to fix one? You know, probably not. And and I do think this is a big test here for Frank Retrano. I mean, if he can put together a few games here and he can have some production or play a fourth line role in a positive manner, I think that can go a long way for him. And the Bruins maybe not adding another body via the trade via a trade or at the deadline because this player I will I we got a tweet about this I don't know if you saw it but that's I was just gonna bring I, that up here I, I do think that that the the uh, the tweeter has a point where he is a tweener where he's dominated the AHL level clearly too good for the AHL the NHL I think there's when you're a goal a game at the AHL level you're a goal a game exactly and I just think at the NHL level there's been a little bit left to desire there he came in guns blazing but I think once teams figured him out oh, this guy likes to shoot from everywhere, they've sort of matched up against him and you know held him in check here. We had another uh, a Twitter question, uh, and it was directed at me more than anything else, and it said, are you really going to tell me that Nola Chari brings more, or, or pick, pick any guy on that fourth Sean line. Sean Corrali. Uh, yeah, let's say Sean Corrali. That, that, are you going to tell me that Sean Corrali brings as much to this team as Anders Bjork would if he were playing? And, that, and, and the, the implication of that is you're going to stick Anders Bjork on the fourth line? I'd rather he were in Providence. Absolutely. I'd rather he were there playing every night, playing important minutes, playing power play, doing all the things. I don't want him playing fourth line minutes here. You've got a fourth line that is exactly what you're looking for from a fourth line, including Corrali. I have no desire to take Corrali, boot him out of the lineup, slip Anders Bjork into that fourth line spot, and then let him sit here and waste away. That, I, I think it's dumb development. Interestingly enough, I had a chance to talk to Harry Sinden a few weeks ago about Bjork. He's really high on Anders Bjork. He thinks this kid is going to be a terrific player. And I do too, by the way. The idea that developing in Providence is a bad thing is false. Absolutely. Take a look at some of the guys on this team now who spent a year, a full year, in Providence. It doesn't hurt them. It helps them. It makes them better players when they finally get the opportunity to play here. I think it will help Bjork, ultimately to spend a season down there and, and get his feet out, uh, his feet under him. I think it'll help Jacob Forsbacher Carlson to have spent a year down there and, and get himself ready. I think it, it, it is smart development of players. It's not this mix and match. Well, Corrali stinks. Let's get him out. Let's get Bjork in from Providence. Well, that just doesn't make sense. No, absolutely. And then you're talking about sort of, I think, the stop and start development that they've tried in the past where a guy he does the shuttle from Providence to Boston all year. That doesn't really work either because you're constantly changing your role. If you're if you're a third line, fourth liner in Boston, but you're a first liner in Providence, and you know that changes week to week, it's tough to sort of I think find your footing as who you are as a player and what you're going to be. I think that DeBrusque getting top six minutes for the Providence Bruins last year absolutely helped him and it's helped him sort of battle through maybe some of the fatigue and some of the issues that come with day to day life in the NHL. Same thing for Highland as well. I think his decision making has been better. Because he's learned the pro game more than he did last year coming right from college. I, I, I'm okay with Bjork playing in Providence and Boston, but the, the sort of the rule, in my opinion, has to be that he's a top six player in both, in both areas. I don't want him playing eight minutes a night in the NHL. It doesn't do anything for him, I don't think. You know, Corrali's a different animal. I think Corrali, his game, that out-of-control sort of speed that you see, that's built for the bottom six. Andres Bjork's a skilled player. He's a smart player. I think that if you're not using him with line mates and with minutes that make sense, he should be in Providence. I think you'll get the chance to find out over the next five games because, again, my, my gut feeling is they're going to slide him in on the left wing with Bergeron and Pasternak. And I'll be curious to see. He certainly has the skill to play there. Remember, that's how they started the season, was with Bjork, with Marchand, and Bergeron. 
I, I mean, I think it, when they started the season, their ultimate goal was to have Pasternak with Krejci. Obviously, they like pairs. Obviously, have Bergeron yes. and Marchand together. And I think they, they started the year with Bjork up there. And it looked pretty good in training camp. It did. Then they dropped the puck for real and didn't look quite as good. Yeah, it's tough. I think that adjustment when the regular season starts versus the preseason, it's obviously a huge difference. But, you know, at the same time, it's so hard to break up that Marchand, Bergeron, Pasternak line. I mean, it is top-heavy, obviously, but nobody has an answer for it. The line is just incredible. They've been together for over a year now, and no one has really been able to stop them. I think Ottawa is the closest thing, but that was you know, more of a team thing than anything else, I think, in the playoffs. And the reason why, and we did a study on this on Nesson recently, the reason why they're the best line in the National Hockey League, in addition to the fact that they're the only line in the NHL with three twenty goal scorers on it, take a look at the plus minuses. I mean, the Stamkos line is great. They put up a lot of points. Look at their combined plus minus as compared to the combined plus minus of this line. This is the, the line that not only puts up all the goals and points at that end of the ice, they play the 200-foot game. They're always playing against the top lines on the other team, and they make it virtually impossible to score against them. Five on five, I think they've given up two goals this year, yeah. even strength goals against. I, I mean, they're impossible to score against. They're practically impossible to stop at the other end. They are, in my opinion, clearly the best line in the NHL right now. Yeah, and I had to, actually, it's funny, I had to do my PHWA midseason awards and the Selkie Which is tr- a dumb thing to do. It is. It, it, they added some really weird awards. Uh, but they, one of the things they had was the Selkie Trophy. And I had Patrice Bergeron number one, Sean Couturier number two, and I had Brad Marchand number three because I think he's the best defensive winger in the game. And I said, well, am I being a little bit of a homer here? Maybe. But I've seen this line. I've seen how hard it's to score against them. I've seen them give up, like you said, I think it's two. Maybe now it's three goals, which is, oh, no, three goals against in over 400 minutes together. It's just it's absolutely insane to think how good this line has been and how it just makes Bruce Cassidy's job so much easier, which comes back to the frustration we have in the beginning with Martian not being part of this now. Now you're in a situation where you can't rely on that line. I, I mean, Bergeron and Postonok are great. We all know that. But you cannot rely on that line the same way that you rely on that that. That big three late in games to score a goal or to protect a lead. You don't want to change anything when you've got it going the way they are. 13-0-4 in their last 17. Last loss in regulation, December 14th against the Caps. You don't want to change anything. And now Brad Marchand has made you change. He's, he's forced you to change the best line in hockey. And that I, I know we've been over it already. We know what we think about the Marchand thing. But it's that selfishness. And by the way, I don't think it was premeditated. I don't think he's sitting there thinking, okay, i got a chance. I'm going to lay one in here. It's instinct for him. It's, it's, there he is, boom, oh, damn it, what did I do now? I, I really red. do think. And you know, red. It reminds me, and I've heard this a lot the last couple of days, too. In fact, Barry Peterson and I are going to argue about this tonight on the pregame show on Nesson. Barry says, how about some of the hits he's taken? And, and he's right. I mean, he has taken some high hits, penalties not called. Uh, you know, he, he gets a lot of attention, most of it not good, and, and he's taken some hits. But that's like saying, you know, Rob Gronkowski gets more attention and takes more hits than any tight end or receiver in football, so you can understand why he'd snap against the Buffalo Bills. No, you can't. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't care how many hits Gronk has taken, you can't do what he did. I don't care how many hits Brad Marchand has taken, and a lot of them are illegal, by the way, you still can't do it. I, I understand the frustration he must feel. You can't do it. And I come back to sort of what happened in December with John Tavares. He easily could have faced disciplinary action for that because that was a situation in which Brad Marchand got knocked down. He was pissed off. He got up. He went the other end of the ice. You could see him the whole way. And in your head, you're going, he's going to do something stupid here. Something stupid's going to happen. And he delivers that interference penalty to Tavares, really targets the head. 
Tavares, an obvious superstar in this NHL. You can't do that. He got away with that one. He wasn't getting away with this one. Like you said, very selfish. The other argument I've heard, and I totally disagree with it, is, well, well, what happened as a result of the hit shouldn't be taken into consideration. I think it should be. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think Matt Cook should have sat out, you know, multiples of tens of games, 10, 20, 30 games. That was a scumbag. He, he should have sat out. And I'm not even, you know, trying to exaggerate here. He should have had to sit out 20 or 30 games for that hit on Matt Cook. You have to take into consideration the results. You have to look at at Marcus Johansson and, you know, the Devils announced yesterday, before we knew about the punishment, uh, they announced that he's in the concussion protocol now. He missed an entire month with a concussion back in in, uh, November. He missed uh, 12 games with a concussion uh, a couple of years ago. It's, it would be like if somebody targeted Patrice Bergeron for the Bruins right now. Absolutely. Bruins fans would be seeing red, and they should be. That's the problem that Marchand's got. I'm sure he didn't think of that You know, when he hit Johansson. He probably didn't even know that Johansson missed a month worth of games. He probably doesn't know about his concussion history. Here's an idea. Don't elbow him in the head. Just don't do it. From one selfish guy to a selfless guy, Charlie McAvoy. Is this as scary as I thought it was? I know the Bruins docs know way more than I ever will. But a heart issue when you're 20 years old kind of scares me. I, I understand the thought, and, and my first when I first heard about it, I was a little concerned about it as well. Uh, you know, what I'm hearing is that, first of all, this happened in, like, November. He's been playing with this, you know, the whole my month. mind. <laughs> well, the, obviously very closely monitored. And, and, you know, they're, they're watching him every shift and all that. And he's fine. And he probably could have continued to play. I think there was a rather strategic look at the All-Star break and the games here. And I think Charlie and his parents, in consultation, obviously, with Don Sweeney and the Bruins, said, look, there's a procedure we can go through that will take care of this. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to monitor closely. We can take care of it right now. It's not open-heart surgery. It's a procedure. And I, I'm not going to pretend to know exactly what's involved, but, you know, he was home the next day. Yeah. Um, and, and I think they looked at it strategically and said, we've got the all-star break coming anyway. Let's do it now. Let's take care of it. Let's get it over with. Let's take that burden off his mind because this kid is special. I, I mean, he is the best Bruins draft pick defenseman since Ray Bork. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and I know it's early in his career, and I'm not saying he's Ray Bork, by the way. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in terms of drafting defensemen, I remember Don Sweeney said to me one time, he said, if, if we've had a problem in this organization, it's that we haven't drafted and developed a top-flight NHL defenseman. And he pointed to Dougie Hamilton, and he said, and this guy might change it for us. Well, he didn't change it for them. Took it to Calgary instead. This guy has changed it for them. This is the guy. First guy since Bork that they've drafted, developed, and, and I think will be a perennial all-star in this league. Well, should have been an all-star this year, by the way. Yeah, he, he absolutely should have been. I think that I, either— Well, when, Hed, when Hedman went down— Either he or Krug should have been well, the call. Uh, and and uh, Krug wouldn't have been my choice, yeah. but McAvoy would have. When Morgan Riley then got hurt, I thought it was between McAvoy and Riley. Mm-hmm. One of those two guys should replace him. I don't quite get the idea that, okay, Hedman's down, McAvoy's not available, so let's put another Tampa Bay forward on the team. They've got two defensemen now. Yeah. Two. I know it's three-on-three, so who gives a damn? They'll have Stamkos work the point. Yeah, probably. They'll just do that. I I really thought Zdeno Chara should have been the replacement once McAvoy was unavailable. Final hurrah of sorts. I can easily make the argument. 
He's playing all-star caliber defense. Top plus minus in the NHL, but you know what it's like. How many goals, how many assists, how many points, that's all that matters to me. Absolutely. That's why I thought Krug or McAvoy, because they're both up there as far as defenseman scoring uh, goes, especially Krug. McAvoy was my choice. Once he was unavailable, I thought that they should go to Chara, but they didn't. Yeah, and, that, and that's the way these things go. We all know. I, I, I think the you know, same thing you can say for Carey Price making it over to Garask. I mean, and the only reason Price is there is that you have to have a player from each team. And honest to God, who would you go with off the Montreal Canadiens? Uh, nobody. It, Dan- would, it, <laughs> would, it would be Carey Price. Yeah, there's really no. That team is is so beyond dreadful. And but with McAvoy, the thing I was talking about with the sort of it being scary or important is, like you've said, this is the franchise guy. This is the guy yes. that I, I think that you'd have to be extremely careful with, like they are. And when they said two weeks, I said, "Oh, make it three weeks." I, you know, you almost you don't know want you don't I, want to rush. I'd almost it. guarantee it'll be less than two weeks, which is which is insane to think about that. I mean, obviously, like we've said, it's it, you don't know how minor it is. You know, I've had people that have reached out to me. They've had the same procedure, and they said, "Oh, I was back at work in a week." You know, it's a little bit different when you're playing thirty minutes a night in the NHL versus sitting at a desk. Uh, I but think, think about admit. the guys who have gone down long term this year. David Backus was back much sooner than any of us expected. Adam McQuaid was available to play much sooner than any of us expected. I, I think they're probably doing this the intelligent way. They give you the outside number, and then when the, the when it comes in less than that, you're going, "Oh, oh, he's already ready." Oh, okay. Yeah, I have a feeling he'll be playing before two weeks. It's the anti Gordon Hayward. Where you, the Celtics say nothing about it. The Bruins like, oh, it'll be two weeks. And then it comes back in a week. Like, oh, look at that. Modern medicine. It's amazing, isn't it? What a warrior. Exactly. I, well, I, I think it's funny, too. By that the way, I think Gordon Hayward is, too. I don't want to give the wrong impression here. Yeah. I saw him up before the game last night in L.A. throwing up shots. And He'll I'm thinking, back. that guy's going to play again. He'll be back. And when I saw what happened to him opening night in Cleveland, I thought, okay, we'll see you next year. He's going to be playing. Sometime in the month of March. Absolutely. They're saying, oh, well, March, he'll start traveling. I'm like, ah, oh, he's going to be playing. He's traveling we all, now. We all know that. I, I think it's funny, though, the Bruins, it's not funny, I guess, but they've had every injury humanly imaginable this season. And, and, and they're still the way they are, which is, which is just, it's remarkable. It speaks to everything that they've done. It's why, again, my midseason awards, I had both Don Sweeney and Bruce Cassidy on my ballot for GM of the Year and Coach of the Year because this is well, a truly remarkable. They might be on your ballot, but they can't win the award. No, no. Well, we George know... McPhee and Gerard Gallant have exactly. retired the award. Yeah. What they're doing in Vegas is unbelievable. Nobody on the planet, including them, by the way, saw this coming. They can already engrave their names on those trophies because those are, and I wouldn't care if they lost every game the rest of the year, which they won't do. Uh, what they've done is unbelievable in, in in Las Vegas. One of the things that uh, I wanted to get to as well uh, was Elliot Friedman noted in his 31 Thoughts column that uh, Mike Hoffman is a player the Bruins have looked at. Yeah. Ottawa Senators uh, score. You, you remember from last year's playoffs, he scored a lot of timely goals against the Bruins. Uh, what do you think about this player? He has another. I think he has another two years at 5.1 mil. That's the problem. Does he That's make sense? That's the problem I have. Uh, you know, you, you've almost got a logjam here for some of the younger players percolating through the system now. You know, you've got Trent Frederick, who's still at Wisconsin. You've got, you know, Forsbacher Carlson. And I, I understand Bjork is up with the Bruins now, but, you know, he's playing in Providence. Solarik's down there. I don't know if I want another veteran guy who's got two more years of term after this year blocking those younger players. I, I think you're not doing your due diligence if you're Don Sweeney if you don't check. And I know this, this, you know, this sounds like Lou Gorman saying, what would I do with Willie McGee? Mike Hoffman's a very good player. Given the term... Given the amount of money that he's paid, given the way the salary cap operates in the National Hockey League, and it's why the Bruins are in such good position, because they've got a whole bunch of guys making, you know, relatively short money. You know, Grizzlick and DeBrusque, and you can run through all the, the list of all these young kids. So important. And, you know, if, if Hoffman comes in here, one of these guys is going to have to get bumped. 
and and I understand the argument. I've heard, I, I can hear people saying it now. Well, he'd be more more important to you than Tim Schaller. No, I'm not sure that that's true. Mm-hmm. I think they love what they've got with their fourth line. And by the way, Mike Hoffman's not a fourth line player anyway. No, Why would you want him on the fourth? He's your second line guy with Krejci and whoever on the right side. Yeah, I like their second line the way it is too. So uh, I, I probably would look at it. See what, what would be required. You're going to get a lot of offers. If you're Don Sweeney here over the next month, you're going to get a lot of offers for a lot of guys who aren't playing in the NHL. He's made it very clear he's not interested in dealing any of these young players off the NHL roster, nor should he. But you're going to get a lot of offers for Solarik and Bjork and Forsbaka Carlson and Frederick and we can go down the list, Zaboral. And, uh, and, and I think if he makes a deal, it'll be for something like that. And I think if he makes a deal, it'll be for a, a, a more of a bit part. I said this on Nesson the other night. I came into the season thinking they needed a top six forward. Not sure they do anymore. No, and I'm with you there. I think, you know, we've, we've come around on, on certain players that we had a lot of questions about. Sure. And, and I think that we're seeing that it's doable. You know, and I think the luxury of having the ability to flip Pasternak down to that second line, it makes all the difference in terms of your needs and what you need to do. I don't think you need to acquire Drew Stafford like you did last year. Maybe it'd be nice just to have some insurance, but I think you got those bodies in Providence. And asking around on Hoffman, you know, the St. Louis Blues are after him. I asked a few people, and they've rejected some pretty substantial packages from the Blues. So it's going to take a lot, you know. And, yeah, I look, see, and, and if it takes a lot, then I'm really not interested. Exactly. And the other thing I look at, too, is I say 5.1 for Mike Hoffman. Not really crazy about that. Will Ottawa retain some salary? Absolutely not, because he's, he fits a want for so many teams out there right now that need scoring. So Ottawa's not going to do you any favors within your division. They're not going to retain salary. They're not going to come down on their asking price to send him to Boston. There's no way that it really works, I, I think, unless you move multiple pieces off your NHL roster, and I'm not really crazy about doing that right now. I tell Bruins fans this, hockey fans this all the time. Don't look at goals for. Look at goal differential. That's the stat that matters. And that's where the Bruins are one of the best teams in the NHL. It doesn't matter that they're not the top-scoring team in the league. And by the way, they're really good. They're really close. They're they're, they're not that far (laughs) off. Look at goal differential. Goal differential is the key here. You know, they're, they're tough to play against defensively. Uh, Tuca on out, is, it makes it a nightmare for opposing team offenses. Uh, and they score pretty well, by the way. You don't, this isn't one of those classic, we used to hear this before, Harry won't go get him a scorer. They, they don't need to go get a scorer. They, you know, they don't need Mike Gartner dropped into the middle of this lineup or something. Not that that guy's available, uh, by the way. The deals that you make for big-time players, the next Cam Neely, the next whoever... Those are off-season deals. Absolutely. They're not trade deadline deals. Trade deadline deals are for, for pieces. You don't generally see major players dealt at the deadline. That's the sort of thing you have to do in the off-season. Yeah, and I look at the Senators as an example of what you don't want to be. Last year they go out and they buy Burroughs. He's been terrible. Yep. He's been absolutely awful this year. He has another year left on his current deal. And then even Matt Duchesne this year for them. I think Duchesne's been a ghost for them. He's been better in recent games, yeah. But overall, that package is not working out for them. And I think you have to be afraid of, of messing with what you have right now if you're the Bruins. I'm okay with insurance pieces. I'm not crazy about blowing it up right now. I want to see a playoff run with Heinen and DeBrusque playing. I don't want to see them healthy scratches. I need to see what this team can do to, to identify what is part of the core, like we've talked about before. You need to see what these players can do. I'm out on Mike Hoffman. I'm out on most guys that I think that people have sent uh, the Bruins' way. Ian Cole is the closest one that I'm like, okay, I can maybe see the need. But at the same time, I don't because you have seven defensemen right now that are very capable NHL players. you got eight sitting here. Exactly. I mean, Postman's still sitting here. 
he never plays, and I can't foresee when he will play, but he's here. Uh, I mean, obviously McAvoy's on the sidelines right now, but you've got eight defensemen here right now. Hold off. He'll be all right. He'll be all right. So, All-Star Weekend, do you watch any of the All-Star game? Almost none. Yeah. Um, the skills competition does nothing for me. Uh, the all Look, I don't, I don't even like overtime in the NHL. Why do I want to watch an entire game of it? Uh, it, it is a bastardization of, of our sport. I understand what they're trying to do. I understand the entertainment value. I think true hockey fans don't find it all that entertaining. You're not a three-on-three guy? No. Really? I, I mean, look, it, it, it's, it, there's a whole lot of layback, layback, layback. Okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't I can't shoot here because if, if they block it, they lay back, lay back, lay back. And then you, you, every once in a while you'll get one of these fire wagon overtimes where they're going back and forth and back and forth. It's been my experience, at least so far this year, that a lot of the overtimes are spent going in retreat. Just backing up, backing up. Let's see. Have I got everybody? Okay, let's, let's sort of sneak up. No, 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 no. Let's back up again. Let's not give up possession of the puck. It's a puck possession game. It's not a scoring chances game. But it's beside the point. I, I don't like all-star games in general. The Pro Bowl is the dumbest of them all. I hate the Pro the Bowl. The single dumbest premise for a, for a sporting event in history. The closest to being real is baseball. Mm-hmm. And hockey and basketball are, are, are in that middle ground where it's not really... I like the NBA All-Star Game. You know, it'll be 160 to 158. It's not really basketball. Skills competition, you know, okay. Oh, look, Armour Yager's got a wig on. This is so funny. It's okay, fine. Yeah. I, the last All-Star game that I truly cared about was the 2009 one because you had three Bruins. You had Savard, Chara, and Thomas there, and it was in Montreal. And you had the Bell Center cheering Thomas. He's making big saves in yeah. the third period. That was their 08-09 season where they were just they were a wagon from start to finish. Until the one the here where Bork was the MVP, you know, yeah. that was fun. I mean, that back when it was still the Fleet Center. Uh, you know, that was a blast because it was the local guy and the, the local hero and all that. But Absolutely. in general... Not a huge fan of the All-Star Game. Yeah. Before that, I cared about the, the one at Fenway 99. I still have a hat. All-Star Game 99, Fenway Park. That was, that was a big one for me. I was there, too. That was, that was a big one. So, uh, overall, what's your outlook here, these, these five games without Martian? Get through them. Um, you know, I, you should have enough, you know, again, running through the list for people. Ottawa, Anaheim, St. Louis, Toronto, and Detroit. Of that group, Toronto's probably the one that scares me the most, and mm-hmm. it's the one that you need to win the most. Uh, Ottawa has got issues all up and down the lineup. Anaheim's had injury issues all season long. St. Louis has started great and has really come back to earth. And Detroit, I'm not sure what they are, and I'm not sure they know what they are. They're terrible. Uh, I could easily see them, even without Marchand, being able to go at least 3-2 and during this five-game streak. Do that. You're fine. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say three one and one would be a win. Yeah, that's fine. Would be an absolute win for me, I think, and and that's a big thing. And... uh, do that. I mean, they've built such a cushion, like you said earlier, that it really almost doesn't matter in a way. But I think mentally, you want to get a few of these wins given the competition. Ironically, and, and I, I, this is looking for the silvery, silveriest of silver linings, uh, McAvoy getting a break in the middle of the season could end up being a good thing. You know, the college kid maybe hitting the pro hockey wall. How many games has he played? You kind of force a little rest period on him in the middle of the season. This isn't the way you want to get that rest period. But I'm saying, in general, it could end up helping him. I mean, I hate to say it, but Brad Marchand, with the minutes that he plays and the, and the high-impact minutes that he plays, you know, it, it may help him physically when you get into that incredibly tough schedule in the month of March. Speaking of tough schedules, next week you're going to be in Minnesota. Won't be with you next week. I know. i got to figure out what we're going to do. i got to figure out what we're going to do. I, maybe I can get someone in here. I don't know. But then it's not the same. Then it, It's not zero pucks given. Then. Exactly. It's a few pucks given. 
depending on or who maybe it is. one puck given. Yeah, and in which case, who knows? The direction of the show could be lost. Dale, pleasure as always. All right, Ty, and uh, have a great trip in Minnesota. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you week after next.